day late, but not a dollar short. This is the Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast, episode 31. Tuesday, December 27th. We're off yesterday, but we're back together. Blaine Disrude, research analyst, welcome. Morning, Danny. Jason Cooper, research analyst as well. Welcome. Hey, Danny. Thanks for having us. And, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's to all of our listeners, and we have a special holiday episode where we're going to be focusing on the labor market, given how important we think the dynamics will be to the year ahead. And just just to start off, we can start with a, a, a quote from Powell, and he was talking about in his last presser the prospect of a structural labor shortage. And what he actually said is, you're more than 4 million people short. We don't see, despite very high wages, an incredibly tight labor market. We don't see participation moving up, which is contrary to what we thought. So as we hit this SWAT podcast, we're going to focus a lot of our time on the labor market and what Blaine and I have observed and discussed. But maybe before that, Blaine, do you want to start with some upcoming data? Yep. We have a few items. It's relatively a lighter week. You have quite a few people already on vacation and looking into 2023, Uh, but we do have home prices with Case-Shiller Index, pending home sales, mortgage applications. Last week of of the month is usually you get your housing data, and then we also have the Dallas Fed, Richmond Fed Index, and then uh, Chicago PMI, uh, which will give us some look into what manufacturing is doing. Getting into the labor (laughs) market, the whole premise of 2022 obviously was inflation. Labor market kind of took, I would say, a bit of a backseat in the Fed's eyes. They saw it as super strong, didn't have a lot of issues there. Uh, And now with the idea that inflation is starting to, let's just say, turn over, I think the labor market discussion will become a much more discussed item for 2023. And that's, I mean, when we were talking, that was why we wanted to dive into that. Right. And if anything... I I think you are too kind to the Fed's objective. What they are trying to do is actually cause the unemployment rate to increase. I think their their expectation at the end of next year is 4.6% from where it is now at 3.7%. But it seems like the labor market is stronger than they had anticipated. So starting with strengths, I mean, the initial claims last week remains depressed at 216,000. There's really no indication that broad-based firings have begun, and if anything, maybe companies are continuing to hoard jobs. Yeah, and that has become a more popular phrase, you know, job hoarding. You had the last year or two of companies trying to hire people. You had the great resignation of people changing jobs and companies fighting tooth and nail, and now it's you're looking out the next year, and it might be a bit of a slowdown, but you don't necessarily want to start laying people off that you just fought to hire. Right. And so that job hoarding, I think, is going to become a, a theme as well. So then in another area of strength we've observed is actually just the wage rate. And growth continues to be strong with job stayers up 5.5% and then job switchers at 7.7%. So what you see is employers willing to pay a nice premium to attract talent to their offices. I mean, you you look back at this data series, and this is pretty much as wide as that spread has gotten. It's great for the person that are, you know, the employees that are out there working and getting jobs, and we'll get into how many people are actually working compared to not working and what that participation rate looks like, but uh, it's it's a good thing for employees to be getting compensated given the backdrop that we have with inflation. At least it's, it's not quite real as far as 
real wage keeping up with inflation, but it is at least something there for compensation for the employees. And, and then when you think about it, too, a lot of these wage increases tend to happen towards the end of the year, beginning of the next year. So as you see inflation starting to trend lower, well, then as you get into the back half of next year, if inflation is 4% or less, and you annualize those increases, then you do get a positive upthrust in real wage gains. Yeah, so 2023, we might actually see real real wage gains if economic activity is sustained and we don't have a super hard landing, let's just say. With that, we've also seen inflation slow down. You had core PCE registering at 4.7%, uh, which is down from 5% in October, so we're starting to see that inflation roll over. We also had the University of Michigan's consumer sentiment uh, numbers come out, and the inflation expectations inside that were uh, down as well, 4.4% versus 4.6% over a five-year range. So we're getting traction there with expectations of inflation coming down and the actual data itself rolling over. And it was an interesting juxtaposition because you had those positive inflation numbers, and at the same time, the 10-year yield bounced last week by about 25 basis points. There's a few factors playing in on that. One, which I think is the bigger one, is Japan and the yield curve control. That was like the catalyst that kicked off rates moving a bit higher. But the fact that it's been sustained is, in my opinion, a positive sign. We've had the last decade of the Fed being over-accommodative, ratcheting down interest rates in essence, and now you're getting a more normal market environment where rates should be a bit more range-bound, especially on that 10-year area, with quantitative tightening pushing on the other end of keeping rates up. So that'll be interesting to to watch going forward, but it's good to see that 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 interest rate is staying elevated at the moment. And and then maybe we can just turn it over to areas of weakness, and and then with respect to the labor force, you know, you you think about how an economy grows, and there, there are three main factors. There's the labor force, there's capital investment, and there's something known as total factors of production, which is really just technological advancements. And as we talk about economic growth on a go-forward basis, one of the things that we've observed is a headwind with respect to labor force. So, you know, labor force growth is the slowest since the great financial crisis, where you effectively had no growth in the labor force for four years. Well, now you have the labor force at 164.5 million people, and that's basically flat to slightly down from where it was three years ago. So you think about total potential growth of the economy, well, you haven't had any labor enter this economy for three years, and that's an area of weakness. It's a very serious area of weakness that I think needs to be understood and where it comes from, right? So the elderly, the people, we'll say 55 plus, um, yeah, Danny just <laughs> threw his arms up. The, the And when I say that, that's just the age range that, that they give, 55 plus, that participation rate has dropped off. And so that's telling us anyone who's over 55 is not partaking in the market like they were before in essence of working it's below 40 percent of people who are over 55 that are actively working in in the economy right now and and you think well maybe it would just be the older generation that doesn't want to participate but you're seeing something similar with i think it was the 20 to 30 year olds 
they're also not participating. So labor force participation has decreased there. And you know, Blaine and I both have young kids. We know just how much it costs <laughs> to to send them to daycare. Um, and, and one of our theories is that some people are dropping out of the labor market to spend more time with their kids. You know, maybe it's more cost effective in this economy to have one income in, in the household and the other person responsible for taking care of the kids, raising the kids, keeping the house in order. And that's really been a theme that you've seen through COVID. It was pre-COVID, we actually had participation ticking up. The employment of the people 20 to 30 was actually growing and improving. And it was, I wouldn't say near record highs, but it was at elevated levels. And going through COVID, that number dropped off. And then those participants and those employees just didn't come back. And so going forward, we might see them get pulled back into the market with inflation where it's been. And, and with, especially if you see those real wage yep, gains. And attract those people. But where we're at right now, it's it's a bit concerning to see those two levels drop the way they did, especially when you factor in that the 55 plus is growing at a rapid rate. I mean, we're adding 4 million plus people to that age range every year. And if that participation rate keeps falling that's a huge loss of potential labor for the economy. And speaking of that, if you were to just take a, a, a simple linear regression of the labor force prior to COVID's emergence and, and look at the gap now between where it would have been versus where it is, it's like 4 million jobs. Yeah, yeah it's, there's a big lack of labor, and that's exactly what Paul was getting at and what the quote was referring to is we have this structural shortage of people not coming back to the market to participate in and be a part of the labor supply for the economy. And, and then just other areas of weakness we noted, gasoline prices are now down on a year-over-year basis. So despite the outperformance of the energy sector, it's not really registering at the pump anymore. And then what about fixed? You know, we, we saw that 25 basis points increase in, in the 10 years. So how's the fixed income market doing? We did see spreads widen a little bit, which is, I mean, price coming down in comparison to what treasuries are doing for corporates and both credit and in investment grade. So that'll be something that going forward we'll watch, especially with the idea that if we do have that economic slowdown, those spreads might widen further and that could be continued weakness, which then could segue into an opportunity down the road. Speaking of opportunities, <laughs> let's go into what we're seeing as far as this labor situation and what that means for opportunities, because there are some actually pretty interesting opportunities that come out of that as a byproduct. Yeah, well, we can go right back to that equation for the potential growth of an economy. You have labor, you have capital investment, and you have technological advancements. So if we're seeing softness in the labor market, how do we make that up? you need investments and just some key areas where you can see labor productivity increase, maybe in like customer relationship management businesses like Salesforce and HubSpot, where you're really trying to increase the productivity of your existing labor stack. You can also see structural increases from areas like artificial intelligence, you know, driverless vehicles, not needing people to man the vehicle. Um, and all of that ties into, in the tech space, you know, it's a boon for the semiconductor industry software, cloud computing. There's a lot to be excited about from an individual company basis as we combat this potential problem. And that's what's going to be key, right? So you have one piece of that equation, labor, 
decreasing and then capital and tech having to lift that other weight to to push growth forward it also means that going forward would likely have slower economic growth if that participation rate doesn't increase but you can pull returns from your investments through investing in different types of companies that have either tech as you know one of their main areas and we've seen tech get beat up pretty bad this year so there might be opportunities going forward given that structural labor shortage and then also um, capital type investments that would benefit from having a, a lighter labor market going forward. And then how do you think about fixed income in that type of world? Yeah, we've, we've just seen a massive increase in interest rates. Would you expect them to kind of remain at the 4% level, at least on the 10-year treasury? So with the investment space and, and fixed income, the structural shortage of labor supply should mean wage growth going forward, right? Right. Which would put a bit of a floor under inflation. And that would mean that interest rates should remain a bit elevated going forward. And that is a, a good thing for anyone who is near retirement or who invests in fixed income, because now you're actually getting compensated for holding companies' debts and lending money out. So that from my perspective, that would be a, a good thing going forward for, for anyone who is investing in fixed income. And then just other areas of opportunity. So we have like this upcoming recession. Is It's like the most widely discounted recession ever. So our question is, is it time, at least from a market timing perspective, to be contrarian? So we looked at a few indicators and, you know, you have like the CBOE put call index. You can kind of think about that as like the difference between protection and participation on a portfolio. And that's at the highest reading since around the market bottom of the great financial crisis. You also have things like, you know, Wall Street strategists are predicting a down year. Uh, it's the first time in decades where this has happened. It didn't happen in 2000. It didn't happen in 2001, 2008, or 2009. But it's happening now. So it's like the street's highly pessimistic. And you have, I mean, balance sheets are still relatively strong. There's likely to be some deterioration there. But we're coming into a potential recession with one of the strongest balance sheets that companies have had not just ban- not just companies, but also the uh, consumer. The consumer, right. and we've seen that with deposits in bank accounts and net balance sheets just being being strong. So it's a good thing going forward that okay, the the likelihood of a shallow recession might be there. That's just a buffer for that outcome. Is it could actually help in that situation. And, and then from a positioning perspective, the Bank of America Merrill Lynch fund manager survey, it showed 10% of participants uh, on a net basis being overweight to bonds. And that's the highest level since March 2009, where the equity market bottomed. So we've got balance sheets, we've got positioning, we've got sentiments. It's all from an opportunistic perspective, kind of pointing to potentially a contrarian bet on the equity market. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out in 2023. <laughs> the threats to all this, right? Yeah. So let's let's start trying to shoot this apart. We talked about Powell's quote, structural labor shortage. If we can't convince people to come back to the market and participate in working, going forward, that likely means lower and slower growth right. for the economy. And that is not a good thing. The positive of that, and we'll just talk for one minute, is that younger age group i think that's you know if they can come back and we can get convince them somehow to come back that would be a positive but if we can't that's a real threat if people have 
in that 20 to 30 age group have left and don't come back to work that's a real threat for for the economy structurally like yeah. not not a short-term thing and then you think about threats well from a monetary policy perspective the fed they're 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 kind of mandate right now it's to get inflation rolling lower and on a sustainable basis and they're viewing it at the expense of a, f- a fully employed labor market so you're looking at this potential structural deficit in labor and their response is to tighten policy to cause unemployment and that doesn't seem logical especially blaine you talked about wage gains in a real efficiently functioning economy when there is a deficit of labor just like if there's a deficit of anything gasoline corn prices should go up companies should have to compete to attract the best talent and in that type of economy you would expect to see as you pointed out a structural floor under wage growth the big thing is monetary policy it works until there's like that structural issue and that's what we're seeing right now is you don't have you simply don't have enough people participating in the labor market to allow for wages to really come under pressure or to allow the the employment situation to say you know what we're going to reduce the amount of people working by x amount when those people weren't there to start with like companies are still trying to look for people to come into the office to work the monetary policy that's in place is just not it's like hitting the economy with a really big hammer but not trying to fine-tune what we're trying to get at for for the labor market aspect of it yeah, I mean, in, in our conversations, I think the way that we phrased it from a monetary policy perspective is, you know, when you have one tool, a hammer, everything starts looking like a nail. Well, what if this is a, a job for a saw or some other type of tool? And then we started talking about the fiscal implications. So how can you actually fix this threat? Yeah, and that's really, I think, what it, it's going to have to come down to and where the discussion's going to have to go for politicians is the lack of fiscal support for incentivizing participants to come back to the labor force, whether it be some sort of daycare support for the younger generation, so those 20 to 30 year olds, or some sort of support from an immigration policy to to incentivize people to come from out of the country to the U.S. and provide their services as a form of labor to improve that that shortage of jobs that we just are missing from our participation rate that we see right now. Yeah, I mean, it's everyone still wants to come to the United States, so we have ample opportunities to really reform immigration or, or drive people back into the labor force. I guess the threat that we're pointing to is, you know, will our politicians be effective in that regard? Yeah, that, or is it just going to be the Fed keeps tightening, saying we're going to see unemployment get to X, but unemployment at, let's say, 5% on a third of what the jobs were there or should be there. I mean, that number doesn't add up. There's some math missing in that equation that is not getting accounted for from an economic, potential economic slowdown. Quite a bit going on. Let's go around the room and talk about some headlines. Headline strength. Anyone who wants a job can get one. (laughs) Headline weakness. Economic growth is structurally constrained by our current labor market situation. What is our headline opportunity? Companies that benefit from labor productivity enhancing technologies. And headline threat. A potential for the monetary policy mistake, given that it might be a fiscal issue, not a monetary issue. Blaine Disrude, research analyst. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. Jason Cooper, research analyst. Thank you. Thank you. 
Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management, LLC, nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.